Let me invite all of us here to open up the Bible with me to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 today, and as we think about God's faithfulness, as we think about how He has always been faithful, we look to His Word to see to see testimony of His faithfulness. He's always been faithful. He will always be faithful, and we come to know Him and to know His faithfulness through His Word. And so let's look at His Word together this morning. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 389. We continue journeying through this book of the Bible. Last week we looked at the first half of Nehemiah chapter 8, and today we're going to look at the latter half of that same chapter. So as you find your place there in Nehemiah chapter 8, let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Would you pause with me as we turn to the Lord in prayer? And, oh, Father in heaven, we, we pause even now, right now, to ask you to speak to us through your word, to instruct us in it, that we might know you. Father, lead us to know you and to live for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I mentioned... Uh, some images from the Webb telescope uh, that have recently been brought to uh, our attention by NASA. And I've got a few of those to share with you this morning on the screen. Perhaps you have, have seen some or all of these, but this image right here is called SMAX 0723, also called uh, the first deep field. So this image of of space, outer space, the far reaches of space as we know them, 
Uh, and and bear with me, I'm not an astronomer, but astronomers tell us that uh, this slice right here of, of high resolution imagery of stars and galaxies would be like taking a grain of sand and holding it out at arm's length and putting it in the night sky. And that's sort of the, the slice of the pie, the amount of the pie that, that you see. Incredible image. Got another image here. Uh, this is uh, uh, quite colorful. This has been called uh, Cosmic Cliffs. Looks like some sort of artist's painting, right? Incredible painting uh, on a canvas or something of that nature. But this is from space. And astronomers tell us that this is star-forming regions, previously invisible areas of star birth. It's cosmic cliffs. A couple others that we'll see this morning. This one right here is the Southern Ring Nebula, also called NGC 3132. And what these couple of images are, so we're told, is clouds of gas and dust expelled by dying stars. Scientists tell us that uh, these here are uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 light years away from us. And then a final image uh, that is much closer to home, still quite uh, some way, but here in our own galaxy. This is one uh, of our planets. This, uh, I believe, is Jupiter. Jupiter, seeing an image up close of, of Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system. You know, there are some things that when we see or we hear, they simply awe us. They, they awe us and leave, leave us wanting more, leave us grasping for words. There are some things that so move us to submission and to praise, knowing that we're not the center of things, that we're not the center of the universe, that there's someone greater, that there's someone mightier, that there's someone far more worthy than any of, of us. Some encounters leave us amazed by the God to whom they point. Because they testify to his power and to his gracious character. See, the truth that we see from God's word this morning, I think, is this, that those who taste God's goodness want more of God. Those who taste God's goodness want more of God. Those who truly know who he is, who've encountered his, his good and gracious character, want more of this God. That's what's happening here in the latter half of Nehemiah chapter 8, the people are coming back, they're gathering again, they're coming back for more of God. Just think about what's unfolded the previous day, what we looked at in the first part of this chapter last week. It's the first day of the seventh month, and all of these people, many of them exiles, who have now returned to Jerusalem and surrounding region have gathered together. Tens of thousands of them have gathered together there at uh, the water gate in the city of Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord. And what do they say? They say to Ezra, the teacher of the law, bring out the book. Bring the book of the law of God. We, we want the book because we want to hear from God. And so the Bible tells us, Nehemiah tells us in this chapter that Ezra read the book of the law from daybreak until noon with men and women and all who could understand gathered together there to hear from the book, to hear from God's word. And we're also told in that text that there are Levites, teachers of the law that are 
scattered there probably throughout the crowd and at various points along the way, there too, reading the word and explaining the word, translating the word, applying the word so that the people hear and understand it. And we saw the people's response to that, right? That many of them raised their hands and they said, Amen. Others bowed down with their faces to the ground and they all were led to, to weep broken over their sin before this God. And remember that Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites said to them, hey, this is a day of celebration. This is a day of rejoicing. Don't weep. Don't grieve. Go and prepare a meal with with choice food and drinks. Gather together and celebrate God. And so now they've come back for more. It's the next day, the very next day, we're told, the second day of the month. Not all of them come back, just the heads of the families together with the priests and Levites to hear more, to hear more of the word, more of God's word. In other words, it's the leaders, it's the leaders returning for more so that they in turn can lead the people to know the Lord. And we're told quite clearly, it's not just the priests, it's not just the teachers, but specifically it's the fathers coming together as leaders of their respective families, to hear more of the Word of God. Dads, let me ask you this morning, are you hungry for the Word? Fathers, are you hungry for the the Word? Are you hungry for the Word because you've tasted the goodness of God? Because you've encountered the riches of His His grace. Men, may the Spirit of the living God stir us to be men who want more of God. Who want God more than money, more than pleasure, more than success, more than fame. Oh God, stir us. May the Lord stir us to want Him. You see, God calls fathers to lead their families to know the Lord. That's one of the truths that we see right here in this text, and not just in this text, but throughout the Scriptures. God calls fathers to to lead their families to know the Lord. He did then, and He does today. This is not just the religious leaders who are responsible to know and obey the Lord. It's not just the official teachers charged to teach the Bible. But it's also the fathers, the heads of each family charged... To know the Lord so they in turn can lead their families to know the Lord. Verse 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. And so here's Ezra once again, the the key character in this chapter. And the only reason that he's the key character is because he's studied the word. Because we're, we're told in Ezra chapter 7 that he's devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and the teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. In other words, as teacher, Ezra's task is to read and to explain and to apply the scriptures so the spirit of God might move the people of God to know And to follow God. And since God's spirit reveals God's goodness through his word. And he does. It's a primary avenue through which the spirit of God reveals the goodness, the character, the nature of our God. Since the spirit of God reveals God's goodness through his word. The primary task of preachers and teachers is to present the word 
in such a way that the people can hear it and understand it so that they might come to know and follow the Lord. And even though there are some, right? There are pastors and teachers who are particularly called, we might say, to teach the Word. So too are fathers and mothers, but especially fathers. As those called to shepherd their families to hear the Word so they might know the Lord. We see this throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. This is right after the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Lord says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Don't forget about these things. These instructions that are rooted in my identity and what I've done for you. They're to be on your hearts. Meditate on them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about them all the time. Why? So that, verse 20, in the future when your son asks you, Hey, what's the meaning of all this? What's the point of these stipulations and decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves. We were in bondage. Son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty brought us out of there. He brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Mom, Dad, a bunch of my friends don't do this. Go to church on every Sunday thing. Why do we do this? We really need to do this. Why do we, why do we have to do this? Why do we gather together in the home? And why, why do we pray? Why do we have a family devotion? Why do we give ourselves to these things? Does this really matter? Why do we do this? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. In the training, in the instruction of the Lord. We know this. Sometimes this comes easily because God's Spirit has done such a number on our hearts that our greatest joy and delight is in Him. And so we, we want to lead others, particularly those that are close to, in our own families. We want to, to lead them to Him. We want to share Him with them. But other times, let's be honest, it's not so easy. Other times, our our hearts feel far from the Lord, and it doesn't come easily or naturally to lead spiritually those whom the Lord has entrusted to us. But even in those moments, church, the Lord's with us. And so we keep leading. And if you're you're a parent, you're not just a parent on the days that you feel like it, right? This is a parent on the days that you feel like parenting, and so it is when we... Lead our families. And so we keep reading, we keep singing, we keep praying, we keep sharing the word, knowing that as we do, the good spirit of our gracious God will begin stirring in us a want to. The Lord works in that way. So we come before Him, submission, humility, striving to know and honor Him. It's a book that I've been reading with my own kids in the home here recently. It's on the screen, Bible Stories Every child should know. Tremendous resource, by the way. Very short Bible stories. Two or three pages followed by by questions. And so we've begun doing uh, that here recently. In the last couple of weeks, we've 
opened this book. And so initially it was me saying, hey, kids, we're going to do this before bed. This is going to be part of our bedtime routine. And summer schedule being the way that it is, we, we've not been super consistent with time going to bed. And to be honest, there, there are nights that I don't want to do it. I go, get in bed and go to sleep. I'm done. I'm ready, I'm ready to go to bed. It's on those nights that the kids reminded, hey, Dad, we get, we got to do the Bible story. Like you, as you lead, as you share, you do things like this. Never regretted doing so. May we lean into those moments. Moms, dads, grandparents. Lean into those moments, trusting the Lord is with us and that He'll equip us and that He'll use His Word. He'll use His Word to lead us to know and to follow after Him. You see, the famous Watergate revival began with fathers. Fathers hungry for the Word. Coming back for more Bible. Believing it's through the Bible that we taste the goodness of God and believing it's through the Bible that we remember the provision of God stirring us to want to praise and obey Him with great joy. See, God calls people, He calls His people to celebrate His provision by obeying His Word with great joy. God calls His people to celebrate His provision by obeying His Word with with great joy. You see, for those who know God's character, obeying Him ceases to be a burden and becomes a delight. Not a drudgery, but a joy. These people have tasted God's goodness and they're hungry for the Lord. They, they find the, in the Word, they open up the Word. They're gathering together, they're opening up the Word and they find in the Word the story of God's faithfulness in delivering their ancestors from Egypt. And they read there how the Israelites wandered through the wilderness of Sinai in temporary shelters on their way to a permanent land. And they find there in the Word God's instructions recorded in Leviticus chapter 23 concerning gathering branches. Gathering branches and living in booths or tabernacles or shelters to reenact, to reenact what God has done for them. I'm told to do this on the 15th day of the seventh month. And what do you know as they are opening up the word? They know it's, it's the seventh month. It just so happens to be the seventh month. And so together with all the Lord's people, they begin to immediately apply the word. So they go and tell their families, hey, go out in the hill country. Bring back branches from olive and Wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. Verse 16. And so the people went out to the countryside and that's what they did. They did it. And verse 17, the whole company that had returned from the exile, tens of thousands of them, the whole company built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. I'm not saying they didn't celebrate it. Ever, but not like this. And their joy was very great. And we're not told here, but can you imagine, church, the reaction of the surrounding peoples? Can you imagine the reaction of the, the Senvalets and the Tobias, the Geshems, and the other peoples on the surrounding area when all the Israelites began clearing the underbrush in order to practice primitive camping on the rooftops and in their courtyards? What are you guys doing? 
What's wrong? What are you? I mean, I mean, I know the houses in the town are not are you know they're they're still falling down. They're not quite fully rebuilt. But what are you what are you doing? You're not going to live in that, are you? Do you know what that's going to do to the value of your neighborhood? What what are you doing? Well, let me tell you. A Jewish man surely respond. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're celebrating the greatness of God. We're commemorating what God has done. He's not given up on us. He's brought us back. He's delivered us from bondage. He's set us free against all the odds. The Lord has brought us back to this place, to this land that he gave our ancestors so that we might know and enjoy his presence and live for his glory. Oh, there was great joy in the land during those days. For the hearts of God's people turned to him again. They knew once again that their only hope was in him and that whatever they faced, he would be with them. And so they celebrated. They celebrated with great joy who God is and what he's done. They celebrated God's presence and provision, ready and willing to lay down their pride. Ready and willing to to look foolish to the eyes of their neighbors. Ready and willing to reorient their schedules, their resources, even their lives for the sake of worshiping the one who's brought them home. Such reminds me of Peter and John and the rest of the apostles in the New Testament testifying to God's grace, testifying to God's goodness. Just a few centuries later, arrested, threatened, and then severely beaten for proclaiming the power of Jesus the Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, filled with great joy. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. See, church, they rejoiced not because they had worldly riches, not because they were experiencing local popularity, not because the economy was improving and the world was at peace. No, they rejoiced because they had experienced God's provision in Jesus Christ. They knew that by God's grace, they were, they were recipients of His mercy. Friend, have you received His mercy? Do, do you know the mercy of this God? Kindness and the mercy and the compassion of the one who is slow to anger. The bounding in steadfast love. The one who delivers the captive. One who rescues the slave, the one who redeems and who saves, in order that the saved could live and know and walk with him. Do you know his mercy? Have you tasted the goodness of God by receiving the riches of his grace in Jesus Christ? We'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So no matter what they faced here, their, their future, future of Peter and 
John and the apostles, it was certain, no matter what they faced, it was certain, for the same God who led Moses and Joshua and the Israelites through the wilderness, and the same God who had led Ezra, Nehemiah, and the exiled Israelites back to Judea, had now delivered a band of nobodies, once living an ordinary life in the region of Galilee, into his forever family by faith in Jesus the Christ. And because the Lord God had been faithful in the past to provide for his people, his people could rest assured that he'd be faithful in the future, meaning that Christ would one day return, just as he said. How do we know this? How do we, like these characters, in Nehemiah chapter 8, rest confidently in God's promises? Here's how. Study the word to know the Lord. Study the word. To know the Lord. Study the scriptures. As they're doing right here. Study the scriptures to know God. For this is the avenue through which our maker has made himself known and invited us to know him and to enjoy him. Study the word to know the Lord. Remember that Jesus prayed. John 17, he said, now this is eternal life that they know you, God, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We study God's word because in it we come to know the Lord. This is why Paul and Barnabas proclaim the scriptures on their missionary journeys, trusting the spirit to use the word to prick the hearts of people so that they might taste God's goodness and want more of him. See an example of this in Acts 13, verse 42 and following in Poseidon. Antioch, on the first missionary journey, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue where they've been teaching, they've been reading the Word. They've been reading the Word and instructing the people in the Word. As they were leaving, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Hey guys, would y'all come back? Come back and bring out the book again. We, We want to hear more of that. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. In other words, come back next next Sabbath, but we're, we're not going to be satisfied until then. Can we hang out with you guys for a while? Tell us more. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear what? To hear the word of the Lord. Those who taste God's goodness want more of God. So we study the word to know the Lord. And as we come to know the Lord, we obey the word To honor the Lord. We obey the word. To honor the Lord. Not to gain a position before God. For we know that salvation is by grace. Somebody help me out. Alone. Salvation is by grace alone. Through faith. In Christ alone. Right? Undeserved and unearned. Freely given by the almighty maker of the galaxies, and of you and me. We don't obey obey Him to become His people. We obey Him because by His grace He has made us His people. And those who've tasted His goodness, those who've experienced His character, those who know His worth, want to give their lives in obedience to Him. Didn't we sing this just a few moments ago? You are my God and you saved my soul. This is what you did. You are God. You're my God. You saved my soul. You are, you are my God and you saved my soul. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. Did y'all hear that? 
I can't help it. I'm bursting out with praise to you because you're my God and you saved my soul. Soul. And this is a natural response to knowing this God who has rescued us. And so with hearts turned to the Lord again, the people in Nehemiah chapter 8, they obeyed the Lord. They enacted James's timeless exhortation to not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. They did what God said. And they did it with great joy. Verse 18, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Not all that different from what the early church did. Having turned to Christ for salvation, having experienced God's eternal forgiveness, Acts chapter 2 tells us every day they continued to meet together. Came together in the temple. They assembled together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They celebrated because they had been saved. They celebrated because the Savior had come to deliver them. They celebrated because they had good news of great joy. They had been reconciled to God and they had reason to proclaim. They celebrated with great joy because they had been saved. Not just saved from Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar, Senballat or Caesar, but saved from sin and made right with God. Have you been Saved. Well, friend, have you been saved by the God who saves? Have you been delivered? Have you been rescued? Have you been set free and made right with the God of eternity? Have you been saved? You see, all who experience God's salvation will forever get God. All who experience God's salvation will forever and ever and ever will forever get God. Forever be with God in right relationship with God and enjoy God. You might say, well, how then can I get salvation? That sounds pretty good. I'd like to have that. Salvation from sin remains freely offered. The Bible is clear. Freely offered to all who look to the Lord. Church, to all who look to the Son of God and Savior of the world, to all who look to Jesus, for all who look to Jesus will one day gather with God's people for the ultimate celebration, not just for eight days of celebration, but forever filled with great joy in the presence of the Most High God. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. That is heaven's throne. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, don't miss it. Look, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He's living with the people. He's living with his people. It's now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
And then he said, and we've got to love it when the Bible says such, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Well, church, our God is trustworthy and true. His character is constant. His love is unfailing. His provision is permanent. May we be a people who look to him. Oh, God, help us to believe the truths of your word. God, help us to reorient our lives around you, around your greatness, around your character, around your provision, around your plans for us. Lord, would you turn our hearts to you? God, would you give us a hunger and thirst for you, desiring to know you and to follow you and to live for you and with you forever. And Lord, we we thank you that you are trustworthy. God, we acknowledge that you are faithful. Father, we admit this morning that knowing you is reason for great celebration and joy. It's reason to sing. It's reason to shout. Lord, it's reason to praise. So lead us even now. Lead us now, Lord, to praise you. To respond in a way that is fitting for those who have received the riches of your grace. Oh God, guide us to sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.